And there was like this anti-war group. Uh, it was Answer, right? It was Answer, which was like a thing at the time. It was run by, uh, oh, one of those socialist groups. Uh, Party for Socialists, PSL, I think. PSL, ran the one yeah. here. And um, I remember we were at one of the meetings that we were talking. And there was like a high school kid that was there that was like going to anti-war meetings for like a school project. I don't know. It was fucking weird. But he uh, very excitedly told me at one point, that he was going to, I think, the Northwest School, some private school downtown, and that there he had an instructor there who used to be in the weather underground, and he was so excited mm. about this that I didn't have the heart to be like, you know, those guys are scumbags, right? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> like, this is this right? I agree with Nixon. They belong in jail just for different reasons. <laughs> I just think they belong for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> th- 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 there was some like because like Vincent like lived through. Um, the you know brazilian protests and stuff like there was some just fucking wild ass uh mm-hmm. detail in there like he got to interview like a lot of people too um you know from it so it's like um yeah the way the way that all of those went down i think like the striking thing about it and i want to discuss this when you guys read it but like when he was describing it i'm like all of these, like, these are completely different cultures, you know, like some are like the, the, like, you know, more conservative Arab cultures, right? Like some are like, you know, in Hong Kong, like straight, like what fucking like, you know, like wealthy, like, uh, former colonies, uh, Brazil, like being like, you know, basically like, uh, Latin America, America. Um, <laughs> and, and like, but all like the way that he was describing him, like even like in, inadvertently or inadvertently, I'm like, these all have the same fucking like tinge and flavor to them. And um, a lot of that is because of like the imperialism, like used by America via the internet, basically causing like Americanization, you know, Um, Uh where because there was like a rejection of like what Bevins calls the old left, which is basically like, you know, uh, Soviet uh, Leninist structures, right? Which were like Mm -hmm. proliferated throughout the 20th century. Um, The the idea of just like a lot of people coming together uh, in a very large uh, demonstration and then uh, question mark and then something, you know, better happens, you know, uh, led to, of course, uh, no real like political education. And so a lot of their um, guides was like U.S. popular culture. And that was like getting referenced like constantly within all of these like uh, protests and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like like quoting like the Hunger Games or like, you know, being like, oh, we're like, you know, Star Wars or something. You know? And it's like, <laughs> 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 but but oh. also just like the tactics that they use were all like really similar. And it's like, damn, like the, the you know, Americanization, you know, via information technology, um, you know. It's too similar to deny that that did not play a factor in a lot of those. I mean, yeah. I, I I don't want to spoil like one of the key, one of the key hilarious fucking like I like laughed out loud at it, but like the the V for Vendetta mask guys, um, that that um, a plague, that, a literal plague. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Mechanical Freak Podcast, the podcast uh, where we are sitting here live in Seattle and New York, neoliberalism, etc., etc. Was Munya giving us some sort of 
forecast into the future? I don't know. Stay tuned. Who knows? Who knows what's happening? Who knows mm. what, what wheels are turning? Uh, we have Munya in Brooklyn. We got Greg on the boat. How are you guys doing today? Um, oh, uh, you know, there's a there's a great, great crime happening this week. <laughs> and it's that I had to work. God damn it. <laughs> That's right. It's another one of those episodes. Oh, it's, uh, this is a, a, a world historic uh, crime against humanity that's happening. And it's that after about six weeks without any uh, paid employment, I, I had to go into work for a couple of days and tomorrow, too. Um, so that's how I'm feeling. That's what's on my mind right now. All right, employers of Seattle, let's reduce Greg's prospects, okay? <laughs> Things are looking too up for him. Well, if they listen to this episode, I mean, really, any episode, but this one, I mean. If, uh, yeah. Or the last yeah. one, I guess. The last one um, also should probably disqualify all of us from most employment in America, apparently. Yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Well, before we get too dark, can we get a, a straw poll going here? V for Vendetta, thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> Honestly, I bet it. I bet it's still fun. I mean, I, I I bet it's fun. I mean, don't take it too seriously. Whatever. Like, <laughs> I, I gotta say, I watched it recently, sometime during the pandemic, and I enjoyed it more at this stage than I did when it came out. I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah, it's yeah. Still, it, it's kind it's of like a, a thumb movie. in the middle. <laughs> yeah. The 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 cultural plague that it, I I don't care mm-hmm. how good the movie is, the cultural plague that it brought on uh the world um resounding thumbs down for that alone. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, speaking of plagues. Now, uh guys, um obviously uh the world still continues to suck. Uh bad things continue to happen. The situation in uh, Palestine has obviously not gotten any better. And and if we were I, I, professional podcasters, we might have the constitution, the work ethic, the strategy to offer you something different uh, this week. But we're not professional podcasters. We're cranks. And this show is about us together as friends working through whatever's on our minds. And that happens to be the world historic crime that's unfolding now, not like some other time, but now, uh, right now as, as this is happening, which is why we're just going to fucking talk about that again. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah. And and I think, you know, one of the things that we we talked about a little bit last week, but I think it's just worth kind of getting into again, is this question of like, why, why is the U S so into supporting Israel. And I, I think for starters, I want to talk about this this uh Janet Yellen interview. So former head of the Federal Reserve, now uh Secretary of the Treasury. Apparently, some reporter thought, well, it's a good idea as America's bookkeeper to go to Janet Yellen and say, hey, you know, because apparently all economies are just like, you know, sitting at the kitchen table budgeting, right? And they're <laughs> yeah. like can we budget a second war in? Do we got money for second war? And uh, Janet came back and said, quote, we can certainly afford two wars. 
and the country was able to rest easy that we weren't going to bust this month's budget. We we're all going to be able to make rent uh, with the second war oh, going. Oh, thank goodness. And we won't file for bankruptcy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, A, I guess, is that uh, is that a relief for you guys? Does that take a, a thing off your plate that you got to worry about? And B, uh, isn't it kind of weird that we can afford this but can't afford anything else? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's the the problem with you know trying to pick apart that logic is like she's not wrong. Like they can keep money wise for for a good long time. You know this uh, what is a rel- you know backing a uh, relatively small genocidal project in Palestine and uh, fighting you know backing one end of a proxy war in a much larger proxy war in Ukraine is something that the U S can sustain for a good long time. Now, if it, you know, all the implications of that aside, like she's not wrong. I mean that the, it's all, it's already taken as red. We're not going to get the pony, you know, we're not going to get, we're not going to ride on Mm -hmm. the merry-go-round of Medicare for all, or, you know, human dignity of any kind in the society. So yeah, like still, she's not wrong. They can, they can do this shit you know what like what's gonna happen like somebody's gonna suffer for it politically i mean maybe maybe not i don't know like this is what this is the purpose of of the neoliberal project in america right is to have disciplined labor restructure the political process take out democratic inputs so that you can afford to fight two wars so that you can afford to keep fighting in a war like Vietnam and just keep it going to the end, you know, keep it going to if they'd done neoliberalism a decade earlier, two decades earlier, maybe three decades earlier, they could have kept the Vietnam war going to 1985. Okay. Uh, because there wouldn't have been spending, you know, any money on like great society programs. I don't know. I'm not saying that adds up and there are, uh, you know, whether you, ultimately we were defeated right uh, you know i'm not saying that's the reason i'm saying like this is all that america the american economy like exists to do is like be ready to fight these uh imperial conflicts you know well i'm just glad that all this belt tightening over the past 40 years has uh finally we, we were, we're starting to see some dividends you know yeah yeah. Like getting rid of uh welfare getting rid of public housing we're finally starting to see the dividends of saving that money <laughs> Well, I mean, precisely that's why we don't have those things, right? Like, in, yeah. in, in a real way. Like, I, I understand, mm-hmm. like, that MMT argument that, like, we could do both. But, no, like, there, this is the reason why we cannot have those things. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> we do need yeah, to because finance them. If, if you do, because, you know, it works a double treat, you know? It's it's also labor discipline, which means political discipline. Yep. You know? So you don't have... exactly, You know you don't have uh, an unruly populace or a, or a um a drafted army of like previously well-fed and possibly even decently educated uh people like to uh mutiny on you overseas you know you have mm-hmm. a a desperately poor or insanely politicized volunteer army and you have a the rest of the populace that just doesn't have it just doesn't really even believe they have any democratic inputs you know yeah 
Uh, too well, busy I did think, about like their next meal, you know. I I did think that it did show some the ways that social media is kind of leaked into even our gerontocratic uh, leaders, right? In that after saying we can certainly afford two wars, Janet Yellen said, money machine go burr. Right? So I, I didn't think that that was uh, an interesting insight into uh, that leakage. Uh, speaking of leakage, uh, the Biden admin has been on one for the last couple of days. And uh, I look, I mean, there's no like funny thing to say here. So I'll just give the, the quotes. Uh, at the first, they had a presser yesterday where a spokesperson for the Biden administration was asked about civilian casualties in Gaza and said, quote, I wish that wasn't going to happen, but it is going to happen. And that doesn't make it right. If it doesn't mean that we aren't, and it doesn't mean that we aren't going to ex- still express concerns about that and do everything we can to help the Israelis do everything they can to minimize it. Right. So that was their comment about civilian casualties wow. in Gaza Inspiring. yesterday is, uh, We'll still express concern about it, but uh, hey, you know this is war. This is it, this is what happens in war. What are you going to do, right? So, thoughts and prayers. Basically. Thoughts and prayers, basically. Y'all stay safe. And that has morphed from yesterday to today to Biden and oppressor saying, uh, again discussing Palestinian casualties. "Quote: I have no notion if Palestinians are telling the truth." I'm sure innocents have been killed, and it is the price of waging a war. Israel should be incredibly careful to ensure they're going after the folks propagating this war by, you know, making clear he doesn't trust, you know, any numbers coming out of uh, Gaza. So uh, and I guess unless the IDF tells them it, it's not true. Um, so these are the, the the state of things yesterday versus the state of things today. Well, like... You know, this is where we've gotten right. But like, let's go back even like now it's a week ago. But since the last time we talked, like as this was really ran, as the bombing was really getting going, like. The uh, Brazilians on the Security Council put together the uh, a toothless, meaningless, you know, perfunctory Security Council resolution for which they devised the insanely stupid rhetoric of a humanitarian pause because Mm -hmm. the United States, the state department, the Biden administration had already been made extremely publicly clear, not just like in, you know, diplomatic uh, talks, extremely publicly clear that the idea of a calling for a ceasefire, you know, uh, was morally reprehensible, was like a disgusting thing that you, you know, cannot even cross your lips. So the Brazilians go through this rigmarole and go like, okay, somehow we have to call, you know, at least say we, you know, something about like wanting uh, people to stop dying instead of continue dying. And maybe, maybe if not a, something like a ceasefire, like allow some uh, humanitarian aid to get in. This is, you know, just as this is fucking getting going. Mm -hmm. And uh, even that, even that, that weak ass shit, the, you know, the U.S. is the lo- the sole no vote on the Security Council on just calling for a, a meaningless non, but now non-binding bullshit calling for a humanitarian pause. Now, like they've carried water for the Israelis always in on the Security Council, whatever. This is an old story, but it's like. 
they're so committed from the very beginning, so committed to this, to just completely backing Israel to the hilt that mm. like they had to come out that they ha have been had to like bend over backwards in these ways. Like that it's not even like, of course, honestly, obviously they were going to veto the, be the loan, the veto on the, you know, any security council vote. They just, they always are, no matter how tepid they are, but like on, when it comes to Israel, but like that the Brazilians had to go out of their way because this is so serious thinking like, okay, the Americans are saying you can't say ceasefire. We, we have, but we need to actually try to get the American vote on this. And come on, we got to, they, they must be looking for a reason to be able to say something, right? The Americans must be looking for a reason to say, okay, we've, we're saying we back Israel to the hilt. We are saying a ceasefire is off the question. Maybe we can help them out and give them the permission of, you know, Oh, well, sure. A humanitarian pause, not a ceasefire, but humanitarian pause, right? Just this, that situation that they would have thought that because of how horrifying what was happening was and it was coming almost like it feels like actors around the world are actually caught a little off guard by how, how staunchly the U.S. is backing Israel, even as they unleash like a rain of fire down on like helpless, starving people. And, uh, you know, and of course I think this is already had already happened when we talked last, but like they, they, they long since have cut off their water, electricity, fuel, like every, there's no medicine. There hasn't been medicine now for over a week. There's no, there was no clean water before. There's no water at all now. Like, mm -hmm. Biden is up here saying, well, we don't believe the casualty reports coming out of Hamas. Well, get your own motherfucker. Like do your own yeah. estimates. Like, like it's just <laughs> the point is like the lies are so bald and so egregious that it's hard to even know how to interpret this. Cause they know they cut off the fucking like food and water over a week ago. So like, if, even without the bombing, there's going to be a lot of dead people by now, children especially, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. and they've been leveling whole sections of the city. So, like, it's not to say, like, maybe, is it surprising? I don't know. That's what, I guess that's what I'm asking. Is it surprising, like, how unrestrained, how unequivocal like they're not really even dancing around anything. They're not like urging they, from no point. And it, and it didn't start. Like, I almost thought like they would do this, like, you know, no, we're behind Israel a hundred percent for like a few days. And then as the bombing really like got going, they'd be like, okay, well, you know, like you've gone off now it's time to calm down. Let's start talking about like, okay, we need uh, to get humanitarian aid and we need to like, uh, you start negotiating a ceasefire. Let's, uh, see what we can do to get the hostages out, you know, like, and no, they're just like, no, keep going. Keep, keep murdering them round the clock. What do you make of it? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it's a crazy situation. It's worth pointing out that, uh, you know, during the George W. Bush administration, uh, mm. there was a large Israeli operation in Gaza, as well as an invasion, an Israeli invasion of Lebanon that, 
the Bush administration both times after, you know, significant casualties were inflicted by the Israelis stepped in and were like, hey, guys, you need to calm down. All right. Like <laughs> you need to draw this to a close and stop. And it seems so far uh, that there's there's just no inclination on the Biden administration to do it. And it, we talked a little bit off mic. I mean, it's hard to imagine exactly what the security concern they think they're fulfilling by just, you know, fully backing this ethnic cleansing in Gaza. Um, and yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's it's something to see. That is for sure. Um, I I was thinking a lot about this because somebody had posted one of those like too smart by half posts about like uh, all the comparisons between Israel and South Africa are wrong or whatever. You got to do some other comparison that they decided was the right one. And it got me thinking a lot about the relationship between Israel and South Africa, which was very deep and the American relationship between the two. And you could ask the same thing. Like, why did the Reagan administration go so hard on supporting apartheid South Africa at a time when it was very clear that South, you know, apartheid South Africa had no future, right? Like, why did it go so hard at supporting it? And the answer seems to be that the Reagan administration was full of people who were really mad about the civil rights movement in America and felt that America had suffered an enormous loss with the defeat of Jim Crow and then the you know civil rights movement, you know, uh, subsequently afterwards, Brown versus Board of Education, et cetera. And that this was like a way to get one back, right? To keep apartheid South Africa going was like a way to get one back. You know, uh, this weird freak that Reagan actually had doing South Africa policy for him named Chester Crocker, who had Ooh. a quote unquote Rhodesian Ooh. wife. <laughs> you know, Ooh. was one of these guys who ultimately got mad at Reagan because he didn't think that Reagan was hard line enough in support of Pretoria, right? And what do you want him to I, do? Nuke Cuba? I, I think that's basically it, right? Is like, how come we didn't go fully nuclear to support Pretoria? But I think the 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 question comes up of like, I, I do think there is this weird or weird, not weird, but there's a solidarity between apartheid states, even apartheid states that have officially given up on a part officially unofficially <laughs> given up on apartheid right and i think a lot of people in the u.s security state and just especially american conservatives look at israel and say what oh the world we could have had you know like what we could have done if we would have uh, nuked mlk when he came to washington instead of uh let him you know park on the mall you know and i think the thing is is you know Biden's quote from the 80s where he said that, you know, Israel is this indispensable sort of, you know, projector of American force in a critical region of the Middle East. And if it didn't exist, we'd have to invent it. <laughs> you know, yeah. like his comments, like, I think that shows the American relationship. But I think what, where it goes deeper is that instead of, you know, a tail wagging a dog or something like that, it's just twins joined at the hip, mm-hmm. you know? And it's this weird relationship that's developed post 1970s where the far right has been on this massive revanchist campaign across the world right you know in the united states everywhere right how do we beat back the left right every everything was seen as having gone too far how do we beat it back and i think there is a level of admiration on the part of american reactionaries and american capitalists with the idea that Israel's 
always been able to maintain this iron fist over its exploited population in a way that the United States didn't necessarily or wasn't necessarily able to do like the U.S. Mm -hmm. put, of course, two and a half million people in prison. But, you know, and we did bomb, you know, a, a, a neighborhood block in Philadelphia but we never like mow the grass in Harlem, <laughs> you know. We never drop J dams on, you know. They didn't drop a J dam on Oakland in the nineteen, in like nineteen eighty six, right? And I think there is this sort of kind of reluctant admiration, right? Or not even reluctant. I mean, a, a, a sort mm, of just upfront yeah. admiration. And I think that also explains a weird third aspect of all this stuff, which is the sort of what we talked about in a previous episode about the Dunning School for Nazism, I think that's where the love affair of guys like Harlan Crow with the Nazis comes from, too. Of like, these were guys who did what we wanted to do, right? Mm-hmm. Who really dropped the fucking, you know, iron fist down on their enemies, right? And it's something the American capitalist class wants to do, but has never had, you know, gotten together or whatever to do it, right? But I, I think it's like, oh, they look at it and they say, that's what I want to be. Like they're, like I said, it's like they're joined at the hip well, in a weird way. Especially like, you know, because one can maybe make the argument that we did that to natives in, you know, the 17 and 1800s. But, you know, uh, this is happening in the middle of the 20th century and today in the 21st century, you know, using modern mm-hmm. technology uh, and like, you know, doing it on a scale within modern geopolitics and being successful with it. And, you know, Israel's essentially their occupation and, uh, you know, brutal administration of concentration camps uh, is on the global level a huge marketing win for them in terms of how they deal arms around the world on the same way that uh, the U.S. does too, you know, like... The uh, U.S. used to supply Israel with a lot of weapons, but from the very start, I mean, like Israel uh, supplied uh, a lot of, you know, global dictatorships uh, with arms. Uh, they will make their own arms and they test them first on Palestinians. Right. And the whole, you know, marketing scheme of that is basically saying, like, look, we're really successful at doing this. We have a population where we can actually test this technology, whether it's security technology, whether it's new uh, whether it's new rockets, whether it's new, um, you know, guns and ammo, uh, we have a whole population that we, uh, you know, test on millions of people every single day, right? And that and mm-hmm. that is not that is used as legitimacy, you know, for them to, uh, you know, continue their arms sales, which increase at a rapid pace. I mean, even just within the last two years, have increased by fifty five percent, you know, and so. Um, there's even like, you know, material reasons why to see, you know, the capitalization of Gaza, of administering like, you know, a siege on Gaza um, is testing new things that, you know, get sold and, you know, used around the world. And, you know, including, I mean, famously in Ferguson, you know, when mm-hmm. uh, people picked up the tear gas canisters and saw that they were Israeli made. In the same way that uh, people are finding rockets now that were made in uh, Colorado in the U.S., right? Like yeah, in yeah. Gaza, like the rockets were manufactured in Colorado, right? And so there's this – there's also the relationship with Israel and the U.S. in terms of, you know, using each, each like, you know, 
occupational force as a testing ground as well. And, um, you know, uh, them together, basically like, you know, uh, arming a lot of the world in within this right wing project too, right. Which cannot be overstated enough how much Israel does play a role in that today. Mm -hmm. And, And again, yeah, it's that, it's that mutual relationship too of, right. The, Israeli use of weapons in Palestine, but also Israel is a pass through for American weapons. When America can't arm a country or doesn't want to arm a country publicly, they just pass the weapons through Israel. Now, the Even, grand irony, the grand irony being the Ukrainian crooks uh, have sold all the American weapons to Hamas or whatever, apparently. But, but you know, but you know, th- again, this this relationship of mutuality between the two countries, you know, uh, it, it's. I don't know. It's the weird solidarity of apartheid states, I yeah. guess, is what we're seeing. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, even even countries that uh, the U.S. will officially embargo or say, like, you know, you can't uh, you can't really do business with them or, you know, we, we can't uh, South really Africa, touch famously, but yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Rhodesia uh, like, as well. Know, yeah. It, even, yeah, I mean, Rhodesia, even in Chile, too, to a degree, even mm-hmm. though the U.S. backed the, the mm-hmm. Pinochet dictatorship, there was a point where they said that they wouldn't be, you know, financing them and you know israel took the place and you know i'm financed them up the ass with weapons right and like that was there was a channel there between that wasn't just coincidence you know israel's used basically to do a lot of arms dealing like on behalf of the usm on behalf of their own state right but that's like collaboration you know this is this is this is joint solidarity between you know the u.s and israel yeah Yeah, I, i think that's all true i think like all of that undergirds the relationship, the the imperial project and the racism, you know, uh, yeah. certainly in the personage of Biden himself. Uh, like both of those things are at play. He's an old imperialist who has been here for this entire like, you know, recent, you know, last 50 years of this relationship, um, which is right, right from about the time it really got really started in earnest, you know, um, is about when he comes in and as a Senator, you know, um, yeah. And he's an old racist, you know, um, famously. So like, I think like that all applies certainly to Biden and it is what undergirds like this long relationship here. But I think like the real question is like, not like why has Israel always been this close ally and client of the United States or like why, you know, where are the interests that they think they are preserving? Like what's, what are the reasons to keep this going? The question is like, why are they ignoring all the reasons to modulate this position Mm. right now? Mm -hmm. And not even like, in some kind of huge way, like they, they could just be like slowly backing off of this even really. Right. They could be doing anything differently and it would make more sense. And I, th- to me, I just, what I see is just the total breakdown and dysfunction of our politics in this period where like, they just can't imagine doing anything differently. These are especially yeah. Democrats who have yeah. like who have spent like, you know, so long and all their careers, if they're elected, like saying like, you know, taking the fucking pledges, you know, like 
saying like we we'll always back Israel. We'll always be there for Israel. Israel is our one of our closest allies. We they're the only democracy in the Middle East. We will always be there to back Israel. We'll always be there to back Israel. Now, when it's in Biden, for Biden, he's also thinking, yeah, our strategic interests are still important, the ones and they're the same and this changes nothing. And yes, I I'm into the racism part too. But like I think like everybody else cuz it's and this is mostly coming from the Biden administration. Presumably, like he is personally having some effect on that, though. I mean, he is a senile old man. Um, You've got this cannot be overstated rest of this apparatus (laughs) like that is pushing this. And I, I think like my instinct is just they just have no they wouldn't even be able to occur to them like what to do different it's just like everything else it's just like the the problem of here's another catastrophe coming right that you think they would care about they're about to run joe biden again for president <laughs> like with both feet in the fucking grave and their vp nominee is like a a loony woman on pills who like is a national joke, right? Like who, and in a previous era, you can imagine a party like doing something about that, right? You can Mm -hmm. imagine like people having a talk and going like, okay, you know, Joe, you've done your bit for King and country. You can't run again. Also first though, you need to, we need to, make some reason to get rid of Kamala Harris. You need to appoint a new VP and that who's going to run right (laughs) when, uh, when you say you're not running. Okay. That's, that's how politics works, right? But they can't do it because they can't do anything. They can't, Mm. there is no system, no process. Like for whatever reason, they can't make, no one can make a choice, a decision that isn't, the easiest most straightforward script and for people in at the top of government the you know the cabinet level officials and then our elected uh people in congress and the senate they've been saying we always stand behind israel we all we will always stand behind israel they don't know how to do anything different they don't know how to craft a different response to that like even to the point that like the republican george w bush did know how to modulate that yeah and that that's just been lost yeah well i mean i i think you know we go back to the reason for you know the u.s support post 73 of israel to begin with which was we need another player to essentially operate as a forward operating base for U.S. power projection in the Middle East, yeah. right? You know, alongside Iran. And of course, post-79, even more important as Iran <laughs> fell apart, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, it was it was this critical sort of part of U.S. power projection. But now you look at it and you go, okay, this desire to ethnically cleanse Gaza has effectively shattered a deal that we we're trying to broker between Saudi Arabia and Israel to try and get the Saudis back online again. It is threatening secu- very 
carefully constructed at quite a bit of expense security arrangements with Egypt and Jordan, right? All these kind of things that are how the U.S. projects power in the region, right? And you would think a more canny ruling class would start to think maybe there's another way to project power in this region, right? That isn't shooting us directly in the foot, right? Maybe there's a way that we can start to broker new deals by, I don't know, selling out old allies or whatever. And again, I mean, it, it, it goes to the sort of that Reagan, you know, the response to apartheid South Africa, where, you know, a big part of the criticism coming from within the house of us support for apartheid was like, Hey, this makes it impossible to do the Cold War in Africa, guys. <laughs> like, you know, there's yeah, nothing yeah. we can plausibly sell to Africans so long as we are backing South Africa, right? And, um, but th- to your point, Greg, I mean, within the Reagan administration, the mania of the people within it, right? Their own, like, personal insanity is like, it made all that impossible to do. And now maybe just the mania and... Uh, maybe the better uh, word is dementia of neoliberalism yeah. has made it impossible yeah. to be canny, to act. I mean, one of the things that allowed the U.S. to rise to power as an imperial power was that it was able to move quickly to take advantage of these ki- exactly these kind of situations, right? Yeah. To go out, make fake promises, win people over, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it does seem that that ability to do that is gone, you know? Well, especially there is now like a competing hegemon in the world, right? Because I think yeah. that they were able to get away with that for a long time because there was like, what what, what, what can you do if the U.S. does that? Like in 1992, right? In mm-hmm. 1995, you know, the, even if they might be bumbling, they didn't have to really woo anyone. What are you going to, where are you going to go as a small country, right? Like yeah. the USSR yeah. fell. Like, yeah, they basically like, go know, to the other store, motherfucker, right? Yeah. There's no other store, yeah. right? You There's know? no other store. It's like, um, we, we, we monopolize that shit. And, um, you know, now with China, you know, not even being like a growing threat, now like basically um, an outright rival to the U.S., um, uh, presenting a different vision of the world and, you know, uh, giving a, an alternative that can actually face off against the U.S. Uh, for these uh, other countries, I mean, that that means that you have to be, you know, more savvy and diplomatic and just can't use hard power. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. like and I think that I, I think the neoliberal state has been too used to just steamrolling because it could have for like, you know, a good 30 years. And I think that those days, like, frankly, are over because there's a, there's a competing interest that that can actually, uh, you know, take on like the U.S. hegemon. Yeah, I. I- yeah, I, I just I just think there's something different, like to where like it's not even like about like, you know, what the larger like strategic like interests are as far as like fully maintaining. I, I mean, there's a huge, huge range of options they could be pursuing right now that aren't actually diminishing their like relationship and support and with Israel at all, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could just be asking for cooler heads to prevail and mm-hmm. signaling that, signaling to the Israelis like okay, like wind it down, you know? Yeah. Like you had your fun like 3 days in. 3 days in. 
Like I, I'm yeah. talking like small. There's a world of difference between what they are doing and total turning their back on Israel over you know over some period and like making other uh, security uh, arrangements in the Middle East. Like, I mean, you could have just like. Let them give them keep giving them the weapons, keep giving them the bombs yeah. like and but but be trying to draw it to a close uh, and signaling them very clearly publicly, like whatever bullshit like people want to talk about. Oh, they're saying behind closed doors or some shit, whatever, <laughs> um, like like that's a small difference that um, that's how far how how wildly out they are. Yeah. With their ass just sticking out for Israel, and it's it's crazy. And but another thing about that is like almost everybody's on board with this. I mean, the whole fucking media class, obviously, but almost everybody in Congress. And like for me, like this is a, this is a petty and stupid thing, but it's a thought I have had, which is that like obviously, obviously, uh, I haven't had anything good to say about like Democrats or the Democratic Party for a long time, but like. On another level, like, you know, I still maybe, you know, saw like some portion of the Democratic Party, like electorate, right, is like uh, people who you wish you could just like clue in or like weren't so stupid or like maybe you could get them to vote for Bernie. Wouldn't that be great? You know, uh at this point, though, after watching this, the Biden administration, all the electeds, almost all of them, just completely debase themselves in in the most grotesque way to just all but open. I mean, and, and occasionally openly call for like crimes against humanity against the Palestinians. Like at this point to me. As a Democrat, just a, a person walking around thinking of yourself as a Democrat, you are at least politically as dead to me as a Republican. Like that's the same thing to me now that that's, yeah. that's what I mean. Like how different, how bizarre and strange this is where they're not even trying to give their, their maybe squishier electorate like an out to still believe, to still like to feel like, they're moderating, even if it's bullshit, even if they're backing Israel to the hilt, but like they're signaling something that's like, you know, well, yeah, we we're trying to draw this mm -hmm. to a close or something for like stupid urban liberals to be able to like, you know, uh, help them justify it, you know, but they're not giving them that. They're just saying civilian casualties what civilian casualties which is just a hair's breadth from the israeli line of civilians what civilians and yeah. yeah so to me at this point after this this depraved utterly depraved display on the part of our entire government and the almost the entire democratic party if you anybody who thinks of themselves as a democrat at this point for me is no different from a Republican. Disgusting. Well, sure. Well, and to your point, Greg, I mean, you know, there, <laughs> there was that very tepid article that came out that was like, Hey, maybe Democrats should probably think about the fact that a lot of, you know, swing States in the Midwest, Michigan, right. Have large Arab and like Muslim populations. And, uh, and you know, it's probably detrimental to be, yeah, 
totally ass out on this without even doing the base level like humanitarian language that they would have done in the past without right? obamaing it right like yeah. obama yeah. could have you you that's that's something crazy like th- well it's a i want you I don't, you almost wonder like obama a depraved individual but like had a way of talking about you know like had a way of sowing bullshit yeah. right like that they're not even trying to do that it makes you wonder what it would have been if this was going on at this level with Obama, right? Like if he, if, if something is different that he would have been doing exactly what they're doing, or if he would have been able to be in really in practice doing the same thing, but making it sound a little better. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, it's, it's it's a, it's it's a a question, right? It's a question on if it is our political system or if it is like, our actual environment, like the people in America, like have we like as a collective gotten so fucking depraved where like, it's, it's a good question, right? Because Obama did have to sell things. You did have to spin things, right? Uh, people ate it up like idiots. If you had yeah. you know, half a brain, you would be able to, you know, see right through it, but he had to do that. Right. And, um, there's like, there, there's, I think that the examples you cited, Greg, were the more, moderate versions of the Dem response. Like look at John Fetterman fucking like (laughs) leftist darling who was like going up against the crotchety old, uh, Dr. Oz, right. Mm -hmm. Who was running against him, you know? Um, he not only has been supporting Israel from the start, which we also knew from his primary, uh, yeah. it, it was is it, very much like pro-Israel. It was very clear. It shouldn't be a surprise if you paid a half attention to the campaign, right? Which He's is a perfect why, example. He made that choice on the campaign. He's like, on you know, the campaign. they came to him. They're like, yeah. so what's it going to be? And he's like, ah, rah, rah, Israel. And he's just sticking to the script. He's, he's totally s- gung-ho for it. Like he's like, he's got to sell that, you know? He's got to convince you to how point- serious he is about backing Israel. To the point where he is outright, um, you know, breaking like decorum by like uh, saying like, fuck that, we won't do a ceasefire. Like, uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, and and this is that's that's an actual quote, right? He used Mm -hmm. like the F word to say like, fuck that, we're not doing a ceasefire. We're going to keep on, you know, bombing them like we got to do it. Right. Like saying that as a Democrat for like where like more people on like the left liberal like uh, space basically got him elected with uh you know volunteer work and stuff like i it feels like we as a culture are in such a depraved state you know like Mm -hmm. and a lot has changed in a decade i think to get us to this point but i think we genuinely are in a much more barbaric place as a country than we were before and not just with our political party but the fact that the electorate can actually tolerate that and, you know, absorb it and defend it. I think well, says a lot about, you know, uh, where our country is, where our culture is. Um, it, it's, it's that to me was actually, even as someone who knew that he made a distinct choice on the campaign trail to back Israel. Um, I think a lot of people had this notion that, Oh, well, you know, that's just the default Democrat line. Like we, if we like, you know, actually mm-hmm. educate him or like put, we could push him in that direction. There's no way you'd actually be like a hardcore Zionist, right? Like we'll that's just like what you say. Left. We'll pressure him from the yeah. left. 
And uh, very clearly, uh, you know, <laughs> that's... Let's see how well that works. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, you know, the scoreboard on that one's pretty lopsided. Uh, so uh. That, I think that that has just... But even knowing that, I think his response has been shocking because you usually have to give liberals an out, right? You have, mm-hmm. to, you have to give these people some way to feel good. But somehow Western liberalism has made it so that we can still feel good about what's going on without even giving any pretense to what's happening. It's like very yeah. nakedly clear, open fascistic, uh, you know, bombing and backing of the siege of Gaza. Um, you know, we're seeing videos every single day of dead children. Um, and literally like to the point where I'll have to just put my phone down, you know, because it's mm-hmm. just like another one pops up, a new fresh video pops up every single day, every single hour. So it's like that you would think has to have some serious democratic PR and spin. Let's sell the war. And I, it just seems like we're beyond that even being a thing. And that is what's really just striking to me. Well, when I think speaking to that sort of depravity, but also the paucity of ideas at this point, uh, the response to that article about like, Hey, maybe you should consider these like, Arab and Muslim constituents in these swing states. The response to that article was all the usual suspects just coming out and being like, oh, do you think this would be better under Trump, right? Essentially doing the like lesser evil thing. But the problem is when you're talking about ethnic cleansing, it's hard to sell the lesser evil argument, right? It's like he would ethnically cleanse harder. Like what are we supporting here, right? It's it's an open question on like who is the lesser (laughs) evil in that situation, especially with the electorate. It's like that's a genuine question. I think that, you know, liberals for a long time had to have the comfort of thinking that, you know, Republicans were worse. But this is like what the Biden administration doing and what the Democrats in Congress are doing to in a unanimous, near unanimous degree, right, um, is on a level that you would only respect from like the most hawkish Republicans. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's like, who's getting the wall built on the U.S.-Mexico border? Joe Biden. Who's deporting more people than Trump? Well, Obama first, king of deportations, and then Joe mm, Biden, right? I think he's like, still the reigning king. Yeah. Who, oh, by far. Who yeah. is, you know, I mean, like Obama, I mean, he's like, you ever look at like Jerry Rice's receiving yard stats and then look at everybody else <laughs> below him? That's like Biden and deportation. Or I'm sorry, Obama and deportations. Yeah. But like, uh, but you know, the war, this disastrous war in Ukraine, this disastrous war in Palestine. I'm sorry, like Biden administration gets to own those things. And it shows the ridiculousness of these lesser evil arguments. And it's not to say, oh, Trump would have been better or anything. It's to say there's no fucking difference. These are two parties that believe every single thing. They have no difference in actual critical political beliefs, right? Every core issue. They have 100% agreement on, right? And so it's like, so when these opportunities arise to start a proxy war with Russia, they're both going to do it, as Trump was trying to do in Ukraine until he left office and then Biden continued, right? To support Israel to the hilt in, you know, an ethnic cleansing in Gaza. It's like, do you think Trump would do something different? It's like, no, I think he'd do the exact same thing. I don't see why you don't see that as a problem, though, (laughs) right? Like, you know, it's... It's this thing, I mean... Even the civility arguments don't really hold up. I mean, I'm sure they try to make them, right? Like, if Trump was doing this, you couldn't be more depraved. He would just be 
less couth as he was just as depraved. Yeah. Bear, I mean, I don't, I, I know, I know libs would see it, right? They would see mm-hmm. some difference, right? Because they just see him as vulgar, right? But yeah. like, now, you know, and, but I mean, the, the things they're saying, the things Biden himself is saying are, are depraved. Yeah. Like, Every bit uh, as depraved as Trump. And also, even, I mean, every bit as shocking. incoherent as Trump most yeah, of the time, yeah. too. Like, so, I mean, even that, like, the idea that, oh, he's saying it nicer. It's like, I don't even know if that's true, really. Like, you know, they yeah. both just, Biden's is just affected by his weird dementia, and Trump's are just affected by the fact that he's an American shithead. But, like, you know, it all comes out the same. I don't Yeah, know. we're talking pure comms here. We're not, like, yeah. we know for a fact that, you know, the empire runs no matter, like, what party's in office, right? These are two bourgeois like ruling class parties right these are not workers parties like just getting that out no. of the way um it's usually a comms and, and pr argument that you're making right and we biden i think has officially just sacked the idea that that common pr is needed right like it, it's truly and that's what's been like kind of eye-opening for me to see is like you know him not feeling the need to even, you know, try to like put on the uh, nice like civility or emphasizing humanitarian aid more, putting like a pause on blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, it, he's talking as if he's like Benjamin Netanyahu, you know, like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's he's, he seems like he's trying to do like a bad impression of Netanyahu in a way. Right. And I think that that's like, it's just, it, I don't know what it even signals. It's just like, it's just really um, like Greg said, I mean, if you identify with that still, if you, it, without having an out, like you, you're a depraved sick person at this point, you know? Well, uh, you know, the question is like, you know, you brought up yeah, how depraved we all are. Well, we have polling on that now, right? Like yeah. uh, that, at least among Democrats, uh, supporting Israel in the their crimes against humanity is not is no longer a majority position. You Which know, says I, kind I, I of thought, a lot, right? Like if if the entire Democratic establishment is getting behind this, like full throatedly, right? The entire media class is getting behind this, right? Um, and let's like pull aside for a second the fact that. Americans are coming out on the street marching for Palestine uh, in a way that I haven't really seen before. I mean, like that alone for no, me, never. like sustained like pro Palestine protests is uh, just something new in in America, and like not in like a niche like crank corner, but in a pretty mainstream uh, corner that has like a sustained uh, outflow. Um, to me, that uh, is very interesting uh, that I think the tide turned in favor of Palestine so rapidly, even with the media continuing to back and support Israel. The fact that Israel is, you know, uh, way more uh, Western and seen as an ally and like, you know, we have all this propaganda. Um, that alone, the fact that, you know, the might of the democratic political capital as well as the you know, mass media uh, uniformly getting behind it. Um, and the fact that Dems still uh, don't uh, 
have a majority and there's like sustained protests for in favor of Palestine, right? Not like yeah. just against Israel, like I think is a kind of a big deal. I mean, it certainly is very new. Uh, generally it's speaking, new. like it's, it's no one's new. really cared before. Um, it is, like you said, it is significant that that is happening in spite of the total like full court press onslaught of mainstream media and the entire Democratic Party of obviously the Republicans. Um, the, that, you know, the tide has turned to, you know, um, more than 50% of polled Democrats, you know, being against supporting Israel, sending weapons, et cetera, et cetera. And then there is all the outpouring in the street. I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of people marching in, uh, big American cities. And then of course around the world, but like, you know, I, that is all very significant. Um, in that it's like, like historically significant, um, and that it's never happened and it's not, yeah, and it's, it's novel. It's a positive vector. I, my, I mean, I hate to be a downer, but I mean, <laughs> like I've seen a lot of people trying to sort of derive hope from that. Uh, and be hopeful, like, look, like, Greg, you know, it's not want to derive hope. No, I, I'm sorry. No. Um, well, Greg, do you remember what, what George Bush told us in 2003? Focus. I don't listen to focus groups. Yeah, fucking. Yeah. Yes. No, exactly. Right. This is look here's I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, my gosh, solidarity with Palestine is actually like coming out around the world, even in America, hundreds of thousands of people in the streets. And these marches are huge. They're inspiring. Go do them. Be in them. Show your support for the people of Palestine. Your disgust with uh, the Israeli apartheid state and with your own fucking shit, shit government criminals. But I'm sorry, there's no hope there. Um, the What is happening? There has been, it is true, there has over the last few years been a shift in what has like been able to break through to people about Palestine and it has shifted even before this a little you know in 2021 uh, significantly uh, public yep. opinion was shifted towards Palestine as well and like a yeah exactly way. I mean the the human rights orgs coming out and calling an apartheid state like this has happened that is and that is the prelude to this and that's all real and it's all true. And yes, despite the media full court press, despite the Israeli like targeting of journalists and the, the blocking out the internet in Gaza and just like cracking down on in any information coming out of there, information is getting out around the world. The thing is, you know, for the same reason that the Democrats can look, can see no doubt polling that says that even among their own base, their position is not popular with a majority and still conclude that the thing they need to do is to keep backing Israel to the hilt, you know, is the same reason that all of these outpourings of support for Gaza, for Palestine are, you know, while they're, while they're beautiful and good, um, aren't going to stop anybody from being genocided because this isn't a fucking democracy. It never has been. And it certainly isn't now. 
Like this shit doesn't work. I'm sorry. Like there were hundreds of thousands, millions of people came out across the world to stop uh, America invading Iraq. That was before it even got going. You know, it's like, it doesn't matter. This shit, it, it matters less now than it did. Yeah. Then. It matters less now I, than it did in the, in uh during vietnam when also lots of people protested and they failed to end the war despite what they will tell you uh or like uh what you're taught <laughs> it's it the rolling in stones country. writing that song yeah the rolling stones writing that song either ended the war or kept it going i don't know what it was but <laughs> yeah but like this stuff doesn't yeah. like this isn't a democracy that this shit doesn't matter like if if you want to stop israel from doing genocide i if if the united states wanted to for some reason they could do it other than that you know that's that's all there is sorry Biden maybe is like the only person in the world like single person in the world who is like has the power to stop that and he's yeah. choosing not to yeah i mean you know biden i guess like the world's other nuclear powers nuking the united states like those are the, those are the two options but yeah, I mean, to Greg's point, I mean, you know, protest doesn't work, so it's not a democracy. I, I do think that, you know, when I first started hearing about Israel-Palestine, uh, talking to Palestinians on the Texas Tech campus, I do think that Palestinians, it's nice to not feel so alone. Absolutely. <laughs> to see other people that won't care, right? That's like, why it's important absolutely. to show Get out, out still. in the when street. You're being killed. Like, it's nice. But I think... I do think, though, speaking of the mania that we're seeing from American politicians and media figures and stuff like that, I do think that this shift is part of that mania. Because, you know, after the collapse mm -hmm. of South Africa, there was one country in the world that supported Israel, and that was the United States, right? That, like, yeah. full-heartedly population supported it, right? And, you know, even though, you know, we're talking to beautiful boaters and they're not going to go out in the streets for that kind of stuff – you could always count on some vocal American popular support for the Israeli cause, right? And basically, even that is gone. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw those amazing social media posts from the official Israeli Twitter site where they're like, come out and support Israel. And it was like AI images of people with yeah, 50 yeah. arms. Yeah, like, it was like, yeah. They literally couldn't find a picture of a single crowd anywhere to show supporting this war, right? Even and, in Israel. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, is it stopping the war? Obviously not. But I do think it's part of what's making our political class so insane is just yeah. seeing how completely isolated they've become that's, on that's a exactly lot of these it. issues. Yeah, exactly. This, this, this is it. When they're out there saying, we will not back down, we, we absolutely back Israel, they're rebuking you. They're rebuking yeah. the American people they're not trying to appeal to the American people because they see it's popular. I mean, there's half the populace, you know, that, that does. Um, but they're also rebuking. They're getting angry at their own base. They're getting angry. So when they lose elections, they'll do what Democrats have done for the last several cycles and just blame their base for being stupid, either depending, you know, not voting or just. Yeah. And thus and having the wrong opinion, you know, and being wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, that's 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 what our our nominal democracy has come to is like that. You just get blamed for like being wrong, for being stupid, for having the wrong opinion. I mean, that's what you know, that's what's going to happen here. You know? Yeah, I, mean, I I might even take it further to say that 
the sympathy, like, cause lest we forget two weeks ago, this was not the sentiment, right? Like the overwhelming sentiment that was being voiced at least. Right. I have no real like pulse back up. This is just me vibes reporting vibes. And you know, this is just like, yeah, exactly. Just getting a vibe check. The vibe is a lot different now than it was even two weeks ago. And I think a lot of popular opinion was hand wringing at tactics, basically. Uh, even with people who were supporting Palestine, but certainly, I don't know if you would be seeing people, you know, in the streets sympathizing if there was an actual chance of Palestinians achieving that liberation, right? Which, and I think that the fact that they went back yeah. to being these uh, helpless, noble savages, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, were comfortable in the U.S. Uh, viewing them as as these helpless people, helpless, primitive people, right? Like, uh, who are just getting the shit kicked out of them. I think that that's where, you know, we're, uh, comfortable viewing them as and seeing them as people, you know, uh, to actually fight for being treated as fully human, actually having their own self-determination. I think that that switched so many people, even who were ostensibly for the cause, completely like, you know, like, whoa, 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 let's not be doing that, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, th- th- that, I think, was very, very instructive and telling to me. Well, I don't, you don't even have to go back to go just to the recent attack, the Hamas operation, which, like, you're going to get people questioning the morality, but certainly the tactic of, like, ultimately bringing the Israeli hammer down on your head by doing this. Like that's going to come. What I think you can compare it to is like, and why the other thing I didn't say is like, like why is there this giant outpouring around the world in hundreds of thousands in many cities? Well, there's a world historic crime happening. There's like an incredible mm-hmm. horror taking place. So the fact that that's breaking through is really in a lot of ways proportional to the immediate horror that is happening right now. So asking like, you know, comparing like, ah, well, why weren't those people, you know, on the side right from the beginning when Hamas attacked and like the, the news that was coming out was that, you know, they killed some civilians. It's like the question for me is like, where were people in 2018? Yeah. When yeah. the much easier to get behind uh, form of struggle, the the Great March of Return, the nonviolent um, uh, martyrdom of, you know, hundreds of Palestinians and the maiming of many more uh, just, you know, for marching close to a fence, like that is a time when that shows you like that shows you where the where people were and how willing they were to uh pay attention and to show that support and solidarity and that changed in the next few years like a little more leaked out to people but what you're seeing now is a proportional response to the level of depraved 
inhuman barbarism mm-hmm. that's taking mm-hmm. place right now, mm-hmm. you know? Well, and I guess to Minya's point, if by way of a somewhat long story, uh, talking about the that early days, right? Like, I remember, so when that movie, the Tarantino movie, Django and Chain came out, I remember I saw it in the theaters in San Antonio, right? So it was like, came out over Christmas in San Antonio. And I saw it in a theater full of largely like Latino working class people, right? And there's the scene towards the end when Django's having the shootout in the house. And very specifically, he shoots Calvin Candy's sister. And mm-hmm. they do like a Hong Kong like rope pull on yeah. her right where they yep. like have like a rope attached to stunt double and like rip her out of frame when he shoots her to like show just like a comical explosion you know into the body and it was met with gales of laughter in the theater <laughs> and cheering right uh-huh. you know and all this kind of stuff right and i came out of it thinking man what a great movie you know it, it's you know getting to live a fantasy that you wished happened, which was a violent slave revolt where the, the, the person doesn't die in the end, right? Where you don't have to have yeah. a martyrdom in the end, yeah. right? And, um, and I was feeling very good about it. And then I came to Seattle and I was hanging around, you know, academics who come from very different backgrounds than the people I was in the theater with. And all of a sudden, I had to, I had to have the movie problematized for me. <laughs> was the violence against the slaves depicted exactly 100% correct and it's like are you saying slavery wasn't violent right are you denying like are you saying if your argument is the movie isn't good because nobody physically got in a room of a club and did a thing called mantingo fighting where they gave a guy a hammer made him kill a guy it's like I don't know if that exact chain of events happened, but they certainly had slaves kill other slaves. They certainly beat slaves to death and things like that. All that happened. I mean, you know, that, that exact was, chain that of events a, happened at least once or twice. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to venture a guess that that did. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, is it recorded in the annals of history? Who knows, right? But the thing is, is that I think there that reaction that came from a certain class of people to that movie yeah. and then the following Nat Turner movie that came out where they tried to strangle the baby in the crib, right? is that there's a deep discomfort in a society as unequal uh, as America with the idea of resistance that's not pacifist, right? That's actually, mm-hmm. you know, poor people, people on the bottom rungs of society actually not just fighting back, but physically, violently fighting back. And I think in that breakout, what I saw was that same division, which is you saw some people who cheered it on and were like, finally a response that you would imagine somebody living in this situation would have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's then viewed I, as a, as them wanting to become fully human by being subjugated as subhumans the entire time. Well, you know, anybody, like that, that's a viewpoint. Yeah. And I feel like anybody who's been under the, the boot, right. Anybody who feels like their life isn't their own, right. That they're under, you know, someone else's control, that kind of stuff. Right sees that and they don't have to agree with Hamas politically, right? Yeah. To see that and and sympathize with it, right? And I think we saw that in the breakout and I think we saw the equal response which are people who don't necessarily feel like they're under the boot, right? Coming out and very quickly tut-tutting that this is not the way to do it, right? As mm-hmm. if they have any fucking way to do it, right? And of course, despite the academic American left and the comfortable American left being the world's leading export exporter of tactics to the rest of the world. (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting that even they couldn't come up with anything. They just said, well, just don't do that. No, no, Brian, the, the, the solution is something that just doesn't make them feel bad. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the their their solution, <laughs> or that they're not afraid to cheer on. Yeah, you know? something that they don't. That's another have, part of it is like, not like uh, I don't like controversial it when you do to something cheer on. that mm-hmm. makes me feel like I have to criticize it. Yeah, that shows the ugliness of the system reflected back to them in a way that they would actually have to confront. Right, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, growing up in, in the South, I mean, you know, it's talking about like Nat Turner and stuff like that. That was always a depiction of, oh, mm-hmm. doesn't everybody feel bad for the children of these slave families? And it's like, well, if the only violence that you're forced to confront is the violence of Nat Turner and the slaves in his uprising, then I guess that's a conclusion you could come to. But what if you were forced to confront everything he had to live through? Right. Mm-hmm. What the, the violence of slavery itself. Right. Does that change? how you feel about it. And it's like, of course it changes how you feel about it. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And and I think that this circles back to the fact that Israel and America have done such a successful job at making people view Palestinians, just not as people. Mm -hmm. Like you, you cannot view Palestinians as people. You cannot be in a press class as people. And, come to that conclusion you know like you have to view you have to view palestinians as subhuman or animals or beasts uh you know rodents wrath can be poisoned whatever who cares Mm -hmm. right people can't that's that's beyond the pale right and you see that in media we talked about that last week we see that you know in rhetoric but that is a fundamental requirement and i think that that's why it's like well, you know, the actual people got hurt this time. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. it yeah, wasn't yeah. the rodents who <laughs> who were doing it. It was like the rodents are like biting people. That's that's bad. That needs to be put down, right? Yeah. And it's like, but if you actually view these people as, as both people, of course you'll come to a different conclusion than that. And so to me, it's just like that that very idea, you know, and knee jerk, I think exposes a lot about <laughs> the it, it, it exposes a lot about like where the mindset is and also just where they're, you know, who they're viewing as people and who they're not, like where the concerns mm-hmm. actually are was never about babies. Right. Because yeah. if you were actually concerned about babies, you would be, you know, fully, you know, not even just supporting a ceasefire, but a complete end to apartheid, you know, like <laughs> it's who gets to count as an actual human being who gets to count as a baby and i think a lot of people showed their hand and thinking that you know a lot more than i actually expected but yeah you know, it's true yeah for real well i think on that note and on that 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 sort of good advice there at the end of like uh for the violence to end apartheid has to end right uh maybe we should end on that and uh I don't know. Sorry. Sorry. It's another bummer of an episode, guys. Um, uh, We need somebody in the Seattle City Council to do something very funny for us between now and then. So if you know a counselor, try and throw some banana peels in front of them or something. And uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll try and be lighter next time. In Mario Kart. In Mario Kart. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Hit them with a cart. (laughs) <laughs> owned by your friend Mario. <laughs> That's what we're trying to say. Um, our, our listeners are getting the message. All right. <laughs> we, we, Challenge we, we, Andrew <laughs> Lewis to Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. 
Try to have a good night or don't. All right. Uh, bye. Bye.